Hey, I'm Zach, and this is my co-host James, and we would like to welcome you to the podcast for winners. Before we get into what the podcast is all about, we're going to each give a little bit about ourselves. So I went to Ohio Northern University for my undergraduate, and there I played football with my co-host James here. And then after that, I went to the Colorado School of Mines to get my master's degree and study resource extraction, uh, both terrestrially and um, in outer space. And now I work for the Army Corps of Engineers doing research and development. And I'm James. A little bit about myself. I also went to Ohio Northern University, played football with my co-host Zach, and uh, I studied business administration um, with a major in management and uh, did a little bit of finance as well. And now I work in finance and uh, my postgraduate uh, future is yet to be determined. So a little bit about the podcast for winners. The podcast for winners is about a conversation. It's about engaging in meaningful dialogue to foster innovation and uh, creativity and kind of educate ourselves and others. Uh, we aim to point out the winners, not in the sense of athletics or competition, but in those who are innovating themselves and others to contribute to society. So come and win the day with us. No energy vampires on this podcast. <laughs>
when you go through the economics of it, makes a really, really good business case for processing this water in space and creating the fuel in space to uh, refuel rockets in orbit, basically. Um, and right. people that know a lot about space exploration, right, it's the big cost is just leaving Earth's gravity because it's so hard to do, but it uh, helps us get around that problem. So the rocket equation is, which was uh, discovered by the Russians back in the day, um, so that sounds right. is, <laughs> is the equation to find out how much fuel to get the fuel that you're going to need to burn in the future out of Earth's gravity, basically. So you need fuel to, bur to carry the fuel that you're going to burn um, down the line. So what you're saying is yes. when you are able to uh, turn this water ice into rocket fuel, does that mean that uh, we don't have to haul as much fuel into outer space to do these missions? Um, yeah, basically. So that's definitely part of it. You just need enough to leave uh, the Earth gravity, right? And then the idea would be eventually an infrastructure will be built up and there will be uh, gas stations, for lack of a better term, and there these rockets can fuel up for way more. And then you, can, with that, not only are the missions cheaper because you only have to pay for the initial fuel of getting out of Earth's gravity, Earth's gravity and not for the entire mission, then also you can have more ambitious plans because if you're buying the fuel in space, you don't have to worry about the cost of getting the fuel out of Earth's gravity, right? So then it just opens up a whole new avenue of exploration. Um, it's really exciting for like future scientific missions. You know, there's lots of interest in all kinds of different uh, moons of Saturn and Jupiter, for example, as well as the other outer worlds of the solar system. And yeah, it's just, I hope it picks up and develops. Uh, I know a few people from my time at school that are all in on this, this field and it's, they're doing pretty well for themselves. And it's, 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 got, it's exciting, man. I hope it, it kicks off soon because I, I want to be a part of it too. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Um, it's it's something out of a science fiction book to me. To be honest, it's yeah, really Star Trekian, and uh, just a little bit more about my background. My my dad was a Trekkie, but he also was in the Air Force, and he started off in Strategic Air Command, which if you know a little bit about the Air Force background, morphed into Space Command, and that is now morphed into the United States Space Force. So it's uh, my roots and, and love of space go back a little bit far. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But um, about some other, some other things we could, other than like elements, uh, rare earth elements we can find out in space. What about, um, I think we have something here about low G mining, zero or low gravity uh, oh. manufacturing. Yes, so these are kind of getting into some areas that I know less about. Um, I would say my expertise isn't in the finance or even making the rocket fuel. It's more in the kind of geological and extracting the resources side, so like the actual mining operations, right? Right. Um, but, yeah, definitely. So I know that the low-gravity properties, um, there's companies and startups being made uh, that specialize just in this and you can do some pretty cool things doing manufacturing uh, for I think for healthcare devices in particular there's some really interesting things going on um, made, made in space I believe is one company that specializes in this I haven't kept up with them as much though and then just expanding yeah I mean there's 
all kinds of things can be classified as a space resource. So we might classify satellites as a space resource because it's an asset that we have in outer space. Um, or uh, space-based solar power is a pretty cool one. So the idea with that would be that you just orbit this power generator around the Earth and then it beams a microwave down to a station on Earth after collecting that energy from the sun and then you use that uh, for power distribution in different remote communities and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so it's pretty anything that you can utilize to enhance the human condition or achieve a mission is it's in outer space is basically a space resource. That's pretty cool. I know uh, Jeff Bezos is, is a big proponent of uh, low G manufacturing. And of course, they'll own the earth by the time this is all over anyway. But uh, yeah, sure. he's, he's all about Definitely. moving things in space. It's a, uh, it's hard to keep up with all the new companies getting interested in this and stuff, honestly. Um, mm -hmm. I will say, so Blue, Blue Origin, Jeff Bezos is, uh, his pet project, is that the right way to call it? I don't know how it's compared to Amazon, but um, so they actually are developing a lunar lander with the, uh, oh, what, I can't remember what they named it, but basically they were teasing it about a year ago and they were teasing it using um, the, I believe the Antarctic Explorer, uh, Shackleton. And the reason they tease it that way is because there's a large crater on the South Pole of the Moon called the Shackleton right. Crater. And the things with these, uh, these polar craters on the Moon, there's lots and lots, or we think, there's lots of uh, water, ice, and other volatiles in those craters. And so that since the Moon's so close, they're one of the like first targets for potential space resource utilization on a large scale with uh, creating the infrastructure for developing rocket fuel and things of that nature. So yeah, Jeff Bezos is definitely interested in this, which is not shocking. It seems like something every yeah. <laughs> billionaire is interested in. Yeah, but, definitely. But um, speaking of uh, the crater on the moon, uh, Project Artemis or the Artemis Project is something yeah. that, it's supposed to be taken off by 2024, I yeah, believe, or something like that. And humans on the moon by 2024, I believe, is the date. Um, and so actually, even just, I mean, when I, so, so I went to Colorado School of Mines explicitly to do this. Uh, I have a degree in space resources, right, because they just started this program. And I think, like, the amount of momentum for this from, like, NASA that has been generated just like since I started the program to now being finished is like incredible. So in like three years, they're clearly much more interested in it than they were in the past. Um, and so Artemis is a much bigger and grander scheme, uh, not just related to space resources, but there are definitely components of it that have space resources in mind. So I know that they're going to be going very near to the rim of one of these craters, for example and they want to create a more permanent uh, habitation on the moon, right? And so I don't know if that's Bridenstine's influence or if it's just, if this is the right moment, so this is exploding right now, but um, they, they've definitely gotten more interested in it in the past few years. And actually, uh, Mars 2020, uh, Perseverance that should be landing on Mars later this year has the, I believe the first um, in situ space resource utilization like demonstration tech on it for anything we sent to another world. So there's a little, instrument on that that's going to collect some CO2 and try to uh, split it and 
just get oxygen back, basically. So cool. Yeah, very cool. We should talk about so the the permanently shattered regions on the craters. I feel like we should explain where that why those are important for the viewers. Please. Yeah. By all means. <laughs> you know this already, but so basically the moon is like tidally locked in its orbit, right? Right. So it doesn't um, change its orientation to the sun basically as it's we see the same side of it no matter what, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, and so the, the angle that the sunlight hits it mm -hmm. doesn't change. And so what happens at the poles is if you can imagine the sun's basically like scraping parts of it. So if there's a dip, like where these big craters are, those right. areas are, they never see any sunlight. And so it's, I don't know, remember what the exact temperature is, but it's, it's really cold. And so <laughs> that, and normally under such low pressure conditions because there's no atmosphere on the moon so there's no pressure right um water would just sublimate and turn to a gas basically and go away but um, in those permanently shadowed craters the conditions are right that the water just uh, kind of hangs out and stays there and there's some really cool um studies or at least i think really cool for kind of what i want to do in the future but looking at how the water accumulates based on uh impacts from meteorites so Basically, one of the, I think this is a more, I don't know how recent, but one of the things we know now is that like tons and tons of asteroids have water as a part of them, basically. And so whenever these meteorites impact the moon, then they deposit that water on the moon. So when they hit these craters, then you get um, like a gardening effect going on. It's just like depositing water in these craters. And then, yeah. Yeah. Going back. Because we haven't been back in so long, right? Oh, no, not and, so, like the 70s, maybe, I think. Yeah. And to think about going back and um, for actually for a reason this time. I know we collected samples there last time, but this is like a real tan a thing that could yield uh, tangible results, some would say. Yeah, definitely. And Artemis itself is, is it's a big step forward for NASA. NASA's been kind of sidelined for a little bit, uh, some would say. And for them to be contracting with even private companies to achieve this goal, I think it's a big step forward. But um, I think we got a long way to go, right? Oh, absolutely. There's no shortage of things. That <laughs> <laughs> so you described to me, um, you know, off camera that this field is kind of like the Wild Wild West. It's like, it's the Yukon of old, it's the gold rush. It's, we don't, we don't know what's really there. We don't know, uh, I don't know. I'm not going to say we don't know what it will take to kind of yield some tangible results, but what, what do you think we need to do going forward to kind of looking at what we've currently allocated resource wise to projects like Artemis uh -huh. and, um, looking at, what we could possibly further allocate to kind of yield the first tangible results. I know we got, like you said, the rover on Mars, it's going to, you know, see what we can do there. But do you think there, that um, there's room for, for this field to kind of grow either from government uh, funding or government subsidizing, or do you think that uh, the interest that it's sparked in the private sector will be able to kind of push it forward in the near future? Ooh. You know, I don't know. Jeff Bezos might have enough money to just 
do something on his own if he wants to. Yeah. Um, but it's really hard for private companies right now because really even most of the private companies in this space that are like the experts, they're kind of doing their work like for the federal government, right? Like even right. SpaceX launches assets into space with their rockets. Like that's great and they make money, but it's not helping advance this. And I'm sure they have people there that are thinking about this. Um, so yeah, I think there's kind of like a, um, a little bit of a chicken and an egg thing, I guess, going on right now. So really most of our actual data we have, which is like a surprisingly impressive amount. If you start looking into some of these other worlds, like even the, uh, the moons of Saturn and Jupiter and that kind of thing, or Pluto. So I, th I think some people might take issue with your comment that NASA hasn't been doing much because they've been collecting a lot of data <laughs> over the last couple of decades. But, uh, but yeah, so, but the problem is it's, a lot of it's like remote sensing and that kind of data. So we don't actually have like ground truth because we haven't been there. And then, you know, you probably understand this well from the finance side, but there's like a risk reduction investment process that you have to go through. And right now we're just not at a point where anybody can really go through that process and be like, yeah, this is a good idea because we just don't have enough information about what everything looks like and how it behaves and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, like I said earlier, I know some people kind of actively trying to work in this space. Like one guy was one of my classmates and he has his own startup company. And it's pretty successful, but like the business right now, even though they want to do um, space stuff, like the, the bread is getting won by doing like military and air quality contracts. <laughs> like, right. So they, they kind of try to do a technology transfer thing, right? Where what they're doing can be applied to outer space later. Um, so yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it is kind of a wild west right now, man. Like it's, people know about it for sure. Like way more than when I first went into the program. Like I said, it's been getting way more popular in the last couple of years and out there is just as a concept. Um, it's just hard to predict like when the money will just start flowing and what skill sets like people need to have to make that happen, you know? Yeah. Money is definitely a very tr tricky thing. Um, yeah. I think the last couple of decades with our, some people believe that our economy has gone through kind of a financialization of sorts that has kind of stifled some innovation. So companies focusing more on uh, financial engineering to make their shareholders happy rather than actually reinvesting in, in certain aspects of their business to kind of push things forward. Um, I think personally, uh, technologically, and this might be a, uh, kind of microcosm of how our mindset has become in business. Uh, take Apple, for example. Apple's a big company that everybody knows. When have they created something in the last, like, 10 years that has been genuinely groundbreaking? Um, the company that's known for, like, innovating, you know, the way we live our life, right? Kind of plateaued a little bit. Uh, so if you take that kind of mindset, and kind of like look at other industries are the same things happening there are they really focused on innovating or are they focused on shareholder you know uh, happiness there but that's another conversation for another day but yeah, was, uh, i was just saying do you think that right now there's a lot of people in this space that are of an innovative mindset because it's not yeah. like just for something as simple as like 
how do we extract this resource? Like, should we use a drill? Should we use like uh, an excavator of some kind? Should we not drill at all and just try to like melt the ice and capture it? Like there's a lot of different ideas going around and people kind of um, arguing in those different spaces over what would be best. And it's just, you're just not gonna know until we actually go there. Cause even in the, uh, like let's just take the permanently shadowed regions on the moon where they think water ice is like, we don't actually know what form that ice is for sure. So like we, we're pretty confident it's there because of uh, an orbiting mission that basically flew over and did some uh, some spectroscopy readings so they could see like what constituent elements are there. And then people that know about that and are really smart can put all that chemistry together and <laughs> say that there's, we think there's maybe about this much of this material and this much of this material and blah, blah, blah. And then they uh, they crash that orbiter into one of the craters, actually. And so then we have more data just from watching it crash and like looking at the the plume that ejected out yeah. of it. Like I've seen, I've seen like some people, or well, I guess I don't want to word this. I want to say something wrong here, but like I've seen people argue because there was like a delay in when the plume launched up after it looked like the orbiter hit it. So some people think that there's almost like a very porous snow layer on the top. And so then if you like send a rover into that, it's just going to get stuck because it's all yeah. right. Um, but then like, for example, I was working on a project where we had to develop um, simulants basically. And by simulants, like, I mean, of the lunar soil. So we grind up basalt because the moon's mostly made of like igneous lava rocks and we'd put some water with it and we'd freeze this thing and make like a little rock core, except it was our fake lunar soil we made because we needed it for testing and that stuff we basically made as compact and hard as possible. So those are like two opposite ends of the spectrum of what this soil could look like in different places on the moon. And you just don't know. So exciting times. I'm excited to see some of the, uh, the missions and stuff land and do their experiments and see what data they bring back. Yeah, I'm very excited. I hope, uh, and I'll apologize to the folks over at NASA. I didn't mean sidelined in that way. I just meant that, uh, you know, public eye-wise, there haven't been as many big things to happen since. And I, I think people should be more excited about Artemis, and maybe it's just like a sign of the times. You know, there's a virus going around and possibly recession hitting and obviously lots of racial injustice things coming to a head and, but I mean, this is a really cool mission. Like we're gonna land people on the moon again. We're gonna land the first woman on the moon. Yeah. Speaking of justice, like it's an exciting yeah. time. I wish people were more into it and excited and we had some unity as both a country and as a global community because it's not just people from the United States that are gonna be helping with this project. Right? right. Yeah, very, it's very, such, a, such an optimistic thing in general, I mean what the winner's podcast is about james yeah of course and i mean we point out the we point out the winners the jeff bezos and the, <laughs> the elon musk the probably the two biggest winners of the century it take time to point out the winners and there are literally thousands of people working in this space right now working as planetary scientists making artemis happen trying to make the space resources future happen and it's awesome right. Thank and you i can't wait for your capacities and time and I cannot wait until the winners of finance can get behind the winners of uh, space resources and 
kind of get this train moving because, you know. There will be opportunity for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I really hope so because I've seen so many different so many different, I mean, opinion pieces, of course, but, you know, the person to nail space resources will be the world's first trillionaire, which will be the world's second trillionaire because Jeff Bezos is, like, going to be there by the end of, like, 2030. But, um, but point being, of course, naturally, as an investor, myself, I like to see results before I, you know, Yes. And and like you said with your friend, I mean that's that's what it's about, honestly, in terms on the business end, because you know what you're getting from a military contract, right? Yeah. Um, you know that you you develop something for the military, they're probably gonna pay you for it, whether it works or not. Look at Lockheed Martin. But uh Yeah, hey, that pays my bills. I just do stuff and <laughs> use it a lot and they pay me for like every year. Right. And they could should and take a slice of that gigantic pie they got over there at the Department of Defense and um, maybe, you know, get yeah, it to... So actually, I'll go on a little side tangent here. Part of the reason why um, I went to the Army Lab, among many other reasons, but, like, I would really like to bring research into space resources to the DOD. Yeah. It's very obvious implications for how useful it would be to them just with how many like satellite assets they had and such right um right. and then that would be a cool thing to get momentum in that space and i've actually i've heard out of whispers isn't the right word but i know that there have been military people that have like stuck their nose in this some um, thought about it you know so hopefully it's uh it's something i can get some momentum for we'll see yeah i mean the future is looking bright i mean the dod has fully committed itself to space of course um, Space Force, which has uh, <laughs> they've finalized their like field command offices. Yeah, <laughs> one's like Spock, the other's like Starcom, and which are all military loves their acronyms. But uh, and the other one's something else I can't remember. But Spock and Starcom are pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> so they're getting off to the right foot, I guess. But is there anything else you'd like to add? I mean, we we knocked out that list pretty quick. Yeah, I think we got a nice overview. Um, I don't know, James, you got any more questions? Do we, we want to bring it in for a landing here? What's the... A lunar landing? <laughs> Bad jokes. <laughs> um, I mean, I think I, I got a pretty good gist of the topic. I think... Um, what I'm looking for going forward, you know, is, you know, what the prospectus of like investment opportunities will be and how the market reacts to that. Because there's always going to be those who do things uh, financially that don't necessarily benefit the greater good. I mean, so what, what does, what do the, these influx of resources do to our markets here on earth? Um, yeah, I think right. that would be an interesting thing to look at going forward, but yeah, particularly with the uh, the rare Earth elements on asteroids, if that right. gets going. Um, I mean, 
there have also been speaking of financial stuff like the pitfalls like some people have lost a lot of money on this type of thing already yeah. i don't know if you're familiar with a company called planetary resources that started about when we were in high school maybe mm-hmm. lots of billionaire backup investment and they don't exist in the capacity that they were before because they just couldn't make the they couldn't make the business case work because the the main point of mining the asteroids was just so far off into the future. Like I don't know what their other sources of income were, but yeah, it just didn't work out. And I've seen I've seen some questionable um, marketing for different space resources startups promising some pretty ambitious things that I don't think are going to happen. <laughs> we don't need to plan on any specific examples of those. The winners podcast. So uh, yeah, so. The fact that results or tangible things are so far off into the future. I think your former classmate who has the startup had the right idea. I mean, it's it's about setting up the proper hedges to make sure that you're not completely, I don't want to say completely all in on fucking space resources, but to make sure that you're not completely dependent on those immediate results from something that clearly isn't immediate. You don't want to create a situation where you lie to shareholders and investors. Yeah. That's, lying's always bad. Yeah. So I think it's about being smart business people going forward for those who are looking at this as a possible path for themselves and, you know, looking at it realistically and realistically those things are far off. So, just be smart about how, how you choose to do business. <laughs> yeah, just be a smart investor. Don't <laughs> give your money to anybody. But, yeah. I mean, that's all I got. No, I think that was a nice overview. Hey, everybody, when you're done listening to this, go to nasa.gov slash specials slash Artemis and look at the NASA Artemis mission and get excited for the future of humanity. That's it. That's all I got. Yes. And get excited for the future of capitalism. (laughs) That's it. Leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Like, comment, no energy vampires, and we'll see you next time.